Welcome everyone. Uh, my name's Chris Bennett. I'm the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. Uh, we've been working in the Nordic region now for the last five years and we have a passion of adding value to the Danish community by setting up podcasts, webinars uh, such as these. We do keep the lights on. I know, ironically, the lights on aren't on behind me, but we do keep the lights on by providing amazing freelancers such as these people today. Um, and so, yeah, if you are interested in getting in touch, feel free to get in touch. Um, today we're discussing freelancing. Uh, we've got an agenda already. We've got some questions we're going to go through with the panel. However, you do have the option on the right-hand side to send us some questions, and I will endeavour to get through them with our awesome panel. So let's get started. Introductions. Robert? Yes, uh, my name is Robert. I am a freelance data engineer. I've been working in the data industry for... I've been close to six, seven years now um, as a freelancer for the last close to five. I am from Netherlands, but I moved to Denmark about five years ago. Um, first to Copenhagen, uh, and now I live on the West Coast in a small town called Klipmüller, together with my girlfriend and our dog. And besides freelancing or working, I like to enjoy nature, go for a surf in the, in the ocean, and um, I guess that's pretty much it. I never thought about Denmark and surfing. Didn't see them. So really interesting, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, different yeah. webinar. We'll have to go into that in a different <laughs> webinar. Um, okay, Sonny? Yeah. Uh, my name is Sonny. Uh, I've been working in this uh, in the internet industry for like um, 25 years or more. Uh, as a freelancer, I also worked at uh, positions, but the past uh, five years or more, I've been working on contract basis as, as like freelance consultant. I'm a full tech developer. Uh, back in the early days, it was like uh, old school front end and various types of back end, like DSP, stuff like that. For the past years, it's been purely React uh, and Node.js. I've been working with the different companies. So, I'm new contract as a lead developer for a pharmaceutical company called Suedis. And uh, yeah, that's what I do. Awesome. Cheers for that, Sonny. They're probably, by the end of this um, webinar, they're probably new to two new JavaScript frameworks that have been brought out in that time. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, and over to Jakob. Yeah, hi, I'm Jakob. I've been working in the IT sector as a developer for 20, roughly 22 years. Started in a small company um, by product development, and then in the mid zeros i started working as a consultant and i've been working as a consultant since then in first of january 16 i yeah, previous yeah, up to that i decided to go freelance due to personal reasons and i've been doing that since primarily working on the microsoft platform as a developer devops whatever but that said i've worked on a lot of different web-based platforms because that's been running service perfect Cheers for that, Jakob. And finally, Nikolai. Yeah, I'm Nikolai. I'm 52 years old. I've been doing freelancing for like uh, 20 years. I live in Copenhagen and have two kids. My task is uh, mostly uh, full stack development on the Microsoft stack, uh, including some Asia, also some of the DevOps from Asia. It seems to hit us all. Um, uh, sometimes I've also had a few contracts as a technical lead, where kind of manage developers. And all my projects are, uh, most of them, I must say, is uh, very large customers, and a lot of them are retained customers. So 
relationships I had for quite some few years, a few years. So, yeah, that will be me. Awesome. Okay. So a lot of our listeners today uh, might be freelancers. They might be people looking to freelance. Uh, and so hopefully we'll, this session will cater for all those needs. Um, so let's go around the table, I suppose. Robert, um, why did you get into freelancing? Um, I think for me, I started working as a consultant at a consulting firm um, in data and analytics. And even though I liked to work a lot and I had a good company to work for, I think I noticed that often I would be sent out to a client uh, individually anyway. Um, and at two, two and a half years, I was kind of thinking, I, I like this independence um, and I think I can also do it myself. Um, so a bit optimistic, but I thought, well, maybe that's something worth pursuing and it gives me the benefits of working in some sort of consulting type role, but more independent and being able to find my own kind of path and which way I want to go. How did... Um... Was it? Um, did you ha- kind of have any agreements with the consultancy in terms of who, which customers you could work for, or were they kind of were they okay you leaving as a freelancer and almost approaching um, their clients? It's a, it's a bit of a funny story because I, uh, at the time I did not have any com- like competition clauses in my contracts, um, so yeah. I could kind of do whatever. Um, and actually, also ended up my first contract was at a client that I worked for as a consultant, um, which made the step a bit easier because you kind of know each other and kind of getting getting into freelancing was that by, by doing so a bit easier. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's the most common. So I think I was a bit lucky to have that freedom in my in my consulting contract. Yeah. Um, Sonny, how did you get into freelancing? Um, I started when I was in university and instead of, you know, the usual student jobs, I just started my own uh, personal business and started freelancing there. Also, I got an offer I couldn't turn down, and, but it's been on off with the freelancing since. The last years has been a lot through program and agencies, uh, which also has worked pretty great for me, I must say. Um, the reason is... Uh, sorry? What I was, I was going to say, kind of... What was the what was the reason you kind of flipped between full time full time roles and um, freelancing? Well, um, to full time it was because I got an offer I couldn't say no to. Uh, mm-hmm. I just like uh, I was offered uh, for the telecommunication team to start their own business for for the uh, websites for, for businesses. So I built up that department, which was like a lot of fun to do, and gave me a lot of experience. But the freelancing I like. Mainly because of the freedom that you have, uh, which Robert also mentioned. Um, I've been working a lot remote and traveling. I just came from five months in Mexico where I was working for different companies here in Denmark. So it's uh, it's the freedom, I think. And also that you get you get a lot of challenges compared to a fixed position where you work for several years. As a freelancer or a consultant, you get you know thrown into a... The project often when you know deadlines are hard to reach or they have specific problems or yeah so it's not well. perfect uh Jakob, yeah. when did you make the step uh yeah actually i decided when i was 25 i needed to work freelance but for many different reasons i didn't I, since for three i had a company next to my regular work regular job due to something that just happened and I got on 
option to work for them also. Uh, but when back in 15, I, I realized a pattern about myself. Mm. Um, when I've worked in a company for a long time and I give a specific assignment, at some point, I'm. it sounds wrong that I'm getting tired of it, but the challenge disappears. Uh, and second, there's a lot of office politics and there's mm. a lot of things with, with management. And when you work in a specific kind of company, they expect you to go to the next management level all the time. And during a really, really stressful situation, I my wife looked at me and said, something has to change. <laughs> so I decided to, okay, of course, I'll just go freelance. And I was, I was so, no, that's not my primary way out of this. But I talked with, uh, I was teaching karate. I'm a, a second-degree black belt, and I was teaching a lot of kids. And one of the kids' parents actually had a big IT company inside in, in Copenhagen. So I talked to him and he knew me through the years from teaching and he said, okay, you can start at us. So I got a, my first six month contract there and then they just followed along and I'm keep doing it primarily due to the freedom we have. Um, it's, it's not without challenge being a freelance just to be fair enough. As mm-hmm. Tony said, he just worked in Mexico and he can work from afar and, and that's fine. But uh, primarily it's because I don't have to fight with office, office politics. Of course, sometimes mm. you can be, the more you are embedded in a project, and the more important you become in this given project, you, you will feel the office politics, but not in the same way as when you are a big employee. And that's my main reason for staying free. I think your main reason is because the missus told you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you're saying, couldn't you find a regular fixed position but it's no fucking way. <laughs> we should have brought her on. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, Nikolai, how did, how, how, when did you make the move? Uh, why did you make the move? Oh, it's so far ago. I can't remember when, 20 something years, but I remember the reason. I remember that I was working with a consultancy house and uh, then we were bought by, um, by a larger enterprise and then we all needed new contracts. And one of the things that happened was that they added a competitive uh, clause to our contract. And that was actually the day when, when I started, because now I really had to make a decision. I think as Jacob mentioned that you can be, should I do it, should I not do it? But for me, that was very clear that I had a competitive clausel in front of me. If I didn't sign it, I would be released. So I just had to make the decision. So that's actually the, the yeah. reason why I got into freelancing. Well, so so, that, so they'd change your contract? Yeah, they it? actually, if, if they, they were buying the company I was in, and then they made new employee contracts for everyone. I think that's pretty common. Uh, and in that part of that process was a new competitive clause. And I always wanted to, at some point, have my own company. So I just yeah. knew that if I did this, this would just be a mess uh, further down the road. So I kind of had to make a decision. I, this, you have to remember, this is because before there was any money attached to the competitive clause. So at this point, you could just add the competitive clause and the employee employee was uh, in, kind of under this contract. I think today you have to pay for it at, uh, if you have right. a competitive clause, but I'm not quite sure how it works. Uh, okay. Um, various reasons there. Um, so I suppose back, back to you, Robert. Um, what do you like about it? Um, yeah, I think it's a bit what others already touched upon as well as kind of having the the free to, to to decide a bit more for your own kind of future in your career. Um, so for me, for example, I would like to move more into into your cloud environment, and I decided to do that, and then start 
kind of trying to find jobs in there, certifying myself. There's no need for somebody to to decide that for me. Um, of course, it also means you get a bit less support from people with more experience, but I think there's other avenues to do that as well. Um, so there's a freedom of choice. And I think another part that I really, really like is that it, because freelance contracts are usually, at least for me, three to six months, um, every three to six months, you have to redefine, am I happy with what I'm doing? Do I want to continue? And so if you get extended, right, like assuming um, it puts you in, in like a reflective mode of, am I still happy with what I'm doing right now? Yes. Okay, cool. I can extend. No. Why is that? And why is it? Why am I not happy with this? So it, it gives you, I know, a good way to self-reflect on, on what you want to get out of your, your work and, and whether you're happy on like a re- reoccurring basis. For those people there that are listening to you going, oh, quite stressful every three to six months doing that what would the answer uh, to them be um i mean it definitely depends on your like appetite in terms of okay am i comfortable that i might not have a job in three to six months um mm. so i think for me there was there was more an issue when you just start up because you know maybe you don't have really something saved up in the bank yet or it's a bit more like okay how much runway do i have um but i think there is something where you kind of want to go through your own situation okay how much how much leeway do i have financially like if i don't find out for three months then what um and for me you know i think my cost level when i started freelancing and still now is fairly low um so i know okay worst case scenario if it takes six to nine months i'll still be fine yeah. i might to like you know go down on some luxuries but i know that i can be comfortable living and not having to sell my house so kind of knowing, okay, what are the potential risks down the road if I don't get a job? Um, that gives me a lot of uh, give me a lot of confidence. Okay, this is fine. Um, and then and a second part is I think during kind of going to freelance and during my first year of freelancing, I also got connect, contacted by some recruiters who were asking for full-time positions as well. So I also knew that the work I'm doing is fairly in demand. So there is... A plan B, right? You can potentially go back to a full-time employment. Um, that way, kind of kick things off again. Mm. Um, Sonny, what what is it about freelancing that you enjoy? Well, I think which I said before, I think uh, it's the freedom. I say this is the most important thing. Um, and uh, and this, yeah, that you can pretty much kick your own direction, what, how you want to take it and what kind of projects you want to work on, technologies and stuff like that. So I think uh, these are the two key points, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, and the challenges that you are thrown into, some things that are you know, fun, actually. Okay. Um, Jakob, um, slightly moving on, because I think Nikolai and Jakob uh, mentioned um, in the previous answer about kind of what you like about freelancing. So feel free to add anything. But um, Jakob, how do, um, how do you integrate yourself into a team as a freelancer? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, <laughs> I, I, just said, be, I don't. To, 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 be, to be fair, um, I've seen a lot of people starting in a team. Now I'm just saying what I've seen, and then I will say what I, what I'm doing. Right, They're okay. starting in a team, trying to position themselves somewhere and showing them how good, showing the rest of us how good they are. 
Mm. Um, normally, for my part, when I started a team, I'm there for a specific reason or they need something for a broader term. They could do fix something over here. That's a general job description, fix something over here. Um, I have a pretty slow approach. I start figuring out what are the people I'm working with. I'm not the one, I'm not the person who comes in the first day and say, you need to do this, this, and this because this shit took. I know people that does that. It's not me. For me, it's just figuring out how is the internal team team dynamics uh, with the other developers, the management, and so on. Are there any processes that doesn't work um, or work? Actually do work because just because I have an opinion, it's not the same as something else doesn't work. So that's the only thing that's important for me to start up slow in a team, not slow, not uh, being me not working, but me actually figuring out what is the right place for me in the team, where can I actually add value? Mm. And if you just pull those over, uh, that's not how I find it anyways. Yeah. So I hope it answered the question. No, yeah. So, I mean, really you're saying making sure you're humble in that yeah. at the yeah. start of the contract. Um, what about you, Nikolai? What's your experience of integrating into teams as a freelancer and how, how do you like to do it? I pretty much feel that I do the same as Jacob is mentioning. I'm not sure everyone that I've been on a project model will agree on me. It depends a little on the deadline. I mean, if uh, because most of the reason when I have like two different kind of projects, the projects that is long running, and then those where the, there's a deadline uh, approaching very fast. That's actually, I don't know why, but it tends to that when there's a deadline coming up, people tend to be more interested into uh, hiring some freelancers to help them. Um, to get the deadline that kind of put a little pressure on the method but learning the team dynamics and then also learning about what kind of expertise is in the team because we always think development is just development but there's so many things around the development that i actually do spend some time matching out which of my competences will give the most effect to the project Often there's, for example, the last project we have a little miss in the DevOps, we'll be missing some expertise. So I, I spent some time uh, learning more about that to make my, how to say it, effort into the team. Another thing I would like to mention about uh, why I like freelancing mm. is a little about uh, the, um, the load on me as a developer. When I'm a developer and I do all my, or mostly of my, my projects based on times or on hourly invoicing, when we get into those crunch period, it's so much easier to be a freelancer compared to be an employee. At least that's mm -hmm. my experience. Because when I'm a freelancer, I know that I will get paid. If I work for 14 hours a day, I will get paid for 14 hours. Mm -hmm. That And that is actually could be some tough with the rest of the team because they don't get paid that much. They don't get like two days of pay for one day works. And this actually makes it much easier for me to handle the load that I has on me uh, and to reaching the deadline. But sometimes I just have to crunch it, but I know I'll get paid for it. So mm. I don't have to have all this discussion. I had so many times when I was an, an employee. Mm. It's a fantastic point, that. Fantastic point. Um, Robert, how, how do you um, how, how do you choose your contracts? Um, I think like the, the most... The last contracts I've gotten is usually um, a, a, a recruitment firm or like a broker reaching out with, with some sort of job description. Um, so I think yeah. the first shift is, okay, does this profile kind of, it, is my profile something that actually matches the that you're looking for? Um, from there, for me, it's a lot of it based on feeling. So I kind of do I have a good feeling with the company that I'm talking to? Um, do I have a 
feeling that the broker in between is is aware of what, what they're actually asking for. Um, that's I think especially in, in data analytics um, and maybe in IT in general. I just don't have the experience in just the other areas. A data engineer can mean many different things depending on what company you ask. Um, and it can be fairly platform specific as well, what it means, what your skills are. Um, so a company can ask for a data engineer and one can ask for a, um, a database administrator and they're actually asking for the same thing. So kind of <laughs> making a shift in terms of, okay, I need to understand first what they're actually, what kind of profile they're looking for. So they're not going to get disappointed because somehow there's a mismatch in expectations somewhere in the process. Um, and then I think personally, I like to work in organizations where I can be part of a team, um, rather than, Hey, you are the external expert, come on over here, tell us how to do it. And then we'll do that. Um, I like to be a team player. I like to involve myself in projects where there's usually more than a single person contributing. Um, so kind of, yeah, back to the feeling about, I want to have a good feeling I'm working with, um, so ideally, have a, have a chat with a manager in the team, maybe another developer or another engineer in the team, and take it from there. So going back to your, uh, your first comment, so uh, uh, when these brokers are reaching out, yeah, is this on LinkedIn yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't know, 90, 95%, it's, yeah. it's all LinkedIn. And, um, and so kind of, yeah. are, you, are you consciously aware that you should always be looking at LinkedIn? Like, listen, all four of you will get a thousand messages from a thousand versions of me. Yeah. How, how are you like filtering through that stuff? Like what, what's kind of your trigger points? Is it an interesting job description? Is it someone you know? Is it... Are you always kind of replying? How, how, how do you kind of um, navigate that? Um, for me, I, I, my approach is to, I, I try to talk to everybody that reaches out because mm. um, I am my own business. I need to find a VN at some point. Um, so yeah. I want to make sure that, you know, that that happens and that I keep in touch with people who are working in the industry. I'm looking for people like myself. Um, so that is my main approach. Um, and what I think what separates to me good brokers from the ones that are a bit more mediocre or, uh, or a bit worse is the ones that take a bit more of a personal approach, a bit more time to kind of get to know you and all rather than here I am shooting a profile at 100 people and hopefully two or three will respond. Um, yeah. It doesn't make me feel good about my position. It doesn't make me feel good about having to talk. So, you know, mm. I'd rather have a couple of good relationships coming out of, you know, having talked to many people at the beginning. Rather than, um, yeah, then then be in a lot of databases around and be somewhere where you can be reached out to a, a bunch of times. Um, Sonny, how, how do you kind of um, choose your contracts? Um, well, it's also based on. I mean, uh, usually you get to talk to the, the team itself and stuff like that, and the gut feeling of it. And also, what's important for me is to know that that there is time to get thoroughly into the project, uh, um, which means for instance, for example, I, a couple of times I work for like a web agency, not the end client, uh, like a, like TDC or something like that, but an agency that is doing something for, for, for large-scale companies. And these companies, uh, agencies, they will only hire a consultant or a freelancer if the uh, shit is the fan. They will not do it otherwise. They're not making any money out of your resources. So it's like the deadline is here. 
and they hire you, and then when you have the deadline coming up, that close. Um, for onboarding, there's no time for anything, so it's not just a very it's just a very bad situation to be in. So I, that is something I always say no to. I never take those things. Uh, what I go for is peace. Uh, I mean, for the fun of it, some things that I haven't tried before or new things, uh, challenging learning experiences as well. Okay. Um, what about what about you, Jakob? How, how are you choosing your contracts? Um, I'm fairly un uncritical, to be fair. Um, as long as it's inside my, my CV range uh, and I think I can manage, uh, I will take it. The only thing I'm, I've, I've started to be skeptical about is, as Sonny said, sometimes you work for a client that's hired you in from a consultant agency but hired in from something, a different consultant agency and so on. When you get into this fourth, fifth level, I don't want to work there. I primarily want to be directly to my client or through one consultant agency. Uh, because then I have the distance where I can actually talk and do a difference. I've been, just to be fair, I've been in a contract where they were also busy and then I worked there for three weeks and then suddenly they didn't have any more work to me, uh, work for me. I had three days left and I had, I had a three months left of the contract, but they only gave me three days because their incline decided to push the deadline for the project six months. So I started in Monday, I worked, I came in in the office Monday and then the project. PM asked me if I had five minutes. I said yes, of course. And then it's only the client decided to push the, the deadline. And then I ended up in a match between the client and the broker. They have a different contract. And I had a small paragraph that said actually the client decides the working hours. And they just they didn't cancel my contract. They just decided I should work zero hours a day. Oh, man. <laughs> I, have uh, I, I don't know if we can swear on LinkedIn Live, but yeah. I feel like swearing. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not working with that consultant agency anymore because no. I honestly find that it's a way of fucking good people, to be sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's the only time I've actually experienced it. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, that, the only thing, if I feel okay with the people I talk to, I can join the contract. Otherwise, it's normally for three months and then I can find something else. Yeah. That's one of the big advantages of working as a freelance. What about you, Nikolai? I would actually like to add that there's an important part of this. This is that when you have the freelancing contract, you have to make sure that you build up some, some savings so you, so you don't get very, very hungry for new contracts. I think it's my basic rule is that when if you have a year full of contract, you should have two-month savings after that year because otherwise you will end up, and if you're too hungry, you will not be able to reject the things that isn't good. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's really important. Regarding the, the contracts and how you choose the contracts, I would say I do most of my by networking, talking with people I have worked with before. And then, to be honest, also pricing. I mean, if, if I have a, diff, a couple of different contracts, uh, I could use pricing to, uh, to select which one of them I should work on by simply uh, raising the price of one of the contracts and see if it gets through. I know it's probably a little, uh, I don't know if everyone likes to talk about it, but pricing is a part of it. And one of the reasoning by being a freelancer is that you get a better price than if you're employed. So as long as you remember to do your savings, uh, that could actually be a pretty good thing from that point of view as well. And you get to negotiate your, your wages for every contract. 
Jacob want to add something? Yeah, I want to add something. As really, as you said, we get a bigger bigger salary than a regular nine to five employee. Uh, that said, we are also taking a way bigger risk. Just to be fair, totally uh, for, for, ma- for many cases, in, in most of us can probably go out and find a nine to five job if, if everything comes up. Um, but as as you said, Nikolai, you have to have a savings. You say two months, I say six months. And if anyone here in the list are considering starting as a freelance, you have to be aware that if you start on the 1st of January, you will not get any money before 1st of March at the earliest, depending on your contract. And a lot of people are missing that part. That, but we're sending an invoice after 13, 30 days and then we'll get our money. Yeah, but you will send an invoice. You work for free in principle 30 days. You will send an invoice. And then hopefully you'll get the money when your invoice deadline is over. And some companies actually have 90 days. So depending on where you want to start, you need to have some savings in your private account. I'm, I'm not going to miss a sales. I'm not going to miss a sales opportunity. We we would pay on the 28th of February, right, Jacob? Yes, every time. In short, no problems. Uh, Robert, you were going to add something? Yeah, just to add on what Jacob was saying. But I've my my first contract um there was also something with that was in the netherlands so it's not that relevant for denmark specifically but it was about being delayed but there was something where the um, the dutch tax authorities and the company who would pay me out they were in disagreement about how the contract would work so even though the company i freelance for they were like yeah we we're good broker in between that said we have to figure this out with the with the tax authorities first and then it was me and in the end, it took I think close to four or five months before getting paid, um, and that was it was a big it was a big organization like a multinational company. It wasn't their fault necessarily, but there was just a company in between and had to go through them because that was the rule of the multinational. Like they only do contracts through this intermediary, and the intermediary said, "Hey, we need to figure out something tax wise first, um, so it's on hold." And then you, and then you get yeah that that can get tricky because. And not only do you have to wait quite a while, but also like, if you would stop and find a new project, then you see that three-month cycle Jacob's talking about. If it's the 1st of January, there's nothing before the 1st of March you're seeing onto your account. So it gets big peace of mind to do have like a long runway. I'm a little bit curious. Do you have three months payment method? Do you have like three months? Because I always I have had the offer or the suggesting a few times and I always rejected it, not because of the three months actually, but the problem is if there's any kind of disagreement, I will not be able to resolve that until there's four months of work. Then I have four months of work in the line. So actually a few times I just had to stop the work and said, if you're not paying, then of course I will stop working. And then my risk all take three months. So just lost you there, Nikolai. Uh, say say that last bit again. Um, I would just if you're working with a payment condition that they will pay for a month after you've done the work. Then if there's any yeah. disagreement about the work or any disagreement about the payment or who should approve it internal in the organization or whatever is going on, you have a lot of work on the plate like that you're risking. So, so I have always said I will only risk a month of work, and that actually turns out to be almost two months because there's no risk. Mm. I mean, yeah, the, those things take time. So I'm just wondering if, if the other participants work with three months as a payment condition. 
I don't. I mean, I didn't. Um, I've had one. I've had one contract where I actually considered it because I wanted to work at that company in that given okay. project. That's the only time I've actually said yes to it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, for me, to be clear, like I, I didn't mean that it takes there's a three month payment period, but more from the, um, you know, I usually invoice after a full month of working, and then there's a another month before the payment term is due. So meaning mm-hmm. you get two months before you actually get paid, even though only so yeah. it's two months technically, um, okay. and then yeah, I guess some companies might work with ninety days or sorry with forty five days or whatever, but. It is still it's a bit of lag, of course, in between the first day you start work of a month and when that money yeah. comes back to you. But Rob, Robert, in, in that scenario you talked about before, yeah, because uh, we're supposed to be encouraging freelance to go, uh, people to go freelancing <laughs> and the five-month thing, is there anything you kind of learn from that, Robert, in terms of what you should be looking for in contracts to stop that scenario happen again or at least, ha- at least being aware of it? I'd move to Denmark. There's a, <laughs> no, it's um, no, it's. I think country. it was because I think, <laughs> because in that scenario, so I work for that company as a consultant and then as a freelancer. Um, but as a uh, what do you call like an single person business? So like I was not didn't have my own APS like you call them in Denmark. Um, yeah. So there was there was a. The tax issue that I don't think necessarily is a an issue with freelancing. It was just that the company was worried about uh, that for tax purposes, I'd be considered an employee of the company rather than a right. external consultant, um, yeah. which I think is a bit, it's a bit like specific to that scenario I was in um, because it, it never, it hasn't been an issue ever since afterwards. Um, in regards to like what a contract, I, I kind of, browse through it and uh, if it's if it seems all right to me then then I'm happy to do it. So in that sense I put a bit of trust into a broker that they also kind of you know act in my best interest. But it might be optimistic but so far except for the first contract everything went fine. Um, I haven't had a case like Jacob had where there was a small clause that said okay now <laughs> now you're screwed. And so a bit more specific to the next one I'm uh, gonna sign. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Okay, so um, I have a small. Can I have a small comment, Chris? Absolutely. Yeah. People like now, Robert men, mentioned the tax thing with SCAT, and a lot of people have asked about SCAT and companies and so on in the questions. Just to be fair, I am not an accountant. I am not a legal advisor. I'm just saying that you cannot hold me into it. Um, for the setup I have, I have an APS where I actually am an employee myself. So I my APS bills my client and then I pay out a salary for me. Uh, but that's it. I just got a mail from SCAT, SCAT two weeks ago regarding this setup because one of my brokers has actually been pulled in for investigation on this part. So just be aware if you are having any doubts, call SCAT, get a binding answer and work from there. Mm. Okay. And I, I talked to my, my current broker and she said it's something really contract specific between me and the broker uh, and that's the big part of it so but again i'm not an accountant i'm not a law person anything i just for the podcast we're just going to so, cut, cut those bits out where you yeah. <laughs> 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 talk to scat about it and get a binding answer that's the best way to do it 
good advice, good advice. And you can speak to Yakov's uh, lawyer if you've got any issues. <laughs> how are the others uh, set up company-wise? I'm actually curious about that as well. Uh, Nikolai, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I have a, I also have a setup with that and part uh, it and I have an accountant who takes care of all that. I'm I'm not good at it, so they they know what to do. <laughs> so I, I pay the I pay the yeah. That's that's where I'm definitely not cost effective, but uh, I don't mind. Uh, Sonny, what about yourself? <clears throat> I have the, the same setup like a holding company, APS, and all my clients goes through like a, like the, the consulting firm that is below the below the holding company. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's because then you. Also, you know, work on startup companies and stuff like that on the same time and just keep it separate. And for the salary things, uh, I use this uh, system called Denver, which is like uh, take care of a lot of these tax things for you and for, for your personal tax. Uh, and everything's pretty clear with that. Because there's one problem when you start up as a, as a freelancer is that is that you make uh, substantially more money than you do on a normal contracts when you have a fixed position. Um, for some people, that could be a little bit difficult to handle. And as we, we say that, that you have to have a horizon that you have to be able to manage uh, without income necessary as a, as a freelancer. Then you have to you know, set, set a standard. Uh, and my advice for this is give yourself, find a level of a salary, just put that into a system like the vendor or whatever similar thing. I just run that and keep the rest in your in your in your company. Okay. Most freelancers are doing it a little bit the similar way after some years at least. Um, what what was that company that you used? Denver, did you say? Denver is like a Denver like a means salary. It's like a company where you can uh, connect tax uh, to an account and you say okay i want to make this amount of money per month and they take care of all the um you know you, that you pay your tax and calculate you should pay and they, they know what you think about and so i can recommend that so much job. it it's yeah. so good they take care of everything it yeah. works very flawless yeah. has done for many years yeah. yes i have i have the same I actually started with the, the first thing I did with my company was to create a Denver account. And then I, I'm using an accounting system and a bank where actually they are all integrated into my accounting system. So when I paid out my salary, I'll just push transfer to accounting system and it goes into my accounting system and my accounting can go and do the bookkeeping. Yeah. So, okay. okay. Um, I'm going to move this conversation slightly on. So um, speaking of money, how the hell do you decide your charge rates? Yeah, Nikolai, we'll go with you first. How, how, do, how do you work it out when, when you when you change it, like when you lower? How, how do you work it out? Uh, first of all, whenever I change my rate, I do it with a very very long uh, time of period to the to the customer. I have a few that is wrong long running contracts, yeah. and I make sure to send any changes so that they can have it in the next budget that is yeah. pretty important for me otherwise it's slowly i'm trying it out uh, honestly i have a someone attend me for a contract i will just try to add out a little on top of my price and then we'll see if it goes or not goes um 
and most of the times it goes actually. And actually, um, when when and this was when I had a small startup. One of the first things that buyer did was to actually raise all prices, and nobody cared. We we think pricing is so important for the customer, and of course it's important, but they also spend a lot of other costs into this project. So, yeah, you have to try it out. And um, yeah, I don't have any golden rule. I mean, the one thing you cannot do, I can say, you cannot take your salary you would get as an employee and try to translate it into a freelance fee. That is definitely not the correct way to do it. You should kind of look at what the market expect. And uh, by the way, do not always trust what the broker said that the price level is. Sometimes they are a little low. And I, th- I know Robert will add more. I can see that on your face. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's a funny. Uh, I think one thing about working with a broker in terms of in terms of setting a rate is a bit tricky sometimes because for me to set my rate, I have to know what the client eventually is paying for me, right? But there is a broker in between, and some are more transparent than others, and some take a bigger cut than others. So it's it's not a fun game to be in when they go like, oh, you should take uh, let's say seven hundred corner because. That's a great rate for you and then they charge a the left client so how do you make sure that you together with a broker kind of you know are transparent and are aware of okay what am i actually what is the client paying and what is my share of that so because that's my my hourly rate at the end um mm-hmm. so it is a, it is a discussion I, that but in in, in, the, in that um so transparency yeah is a big thing uh, definitely in our yeah. world because it's not really regulated so having a relationship with a broker that's transparent generally solves a lot of issues but how do they, do you know when that broker's like pushing you and saying listen but what is your rate yeah H- how do you deal with that scenario like like and also like on the on the business level yeah are you you say you're constantly kind of reviewing how are you thinking um your how do you kind of find out what other people are charging like how do you go about this i can start yeah Jacob. Uh, first of all it's a if a broker tries to push me we all started somewhere just to be fair and i've learned this the hard way if a broker tries to push me today i'm just simply saying no it's not an assignment for me because I've made my budget. I need to save up for vacation. I know roughly how many days a year I can work and I need to save for pension and sick days and so on. So I have my budget and I know what my hourly rate has to be. Everything I can get on top of that is just, it's just nice, fine, luxury and a bigger savings because I know when I say bigger savings, it, tax will take a lot of it when it comes to that. But, but that's the way I do it. So I've, had one contract where I actually talked to my my, my client, well, my colleagues, my freelance colleagues. One of them, I realized I was not just cheaper, but I was way fucking cheaper than my <laughs> colleagues. And I got really, really frustrated because my broker, he gave me a story that's clearly not real life and how it is. So we, we had a talk regard, regarding my next contract with the same client and I needed to raise my prices and I wanted to raise my prices. And we found something in the middle because it was yeah. fairly high <laughs> price gap yeah. we had there. Yeah. Uh, so we, we figured it out. And then it was, that was my last contract with that client. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you asking, you know, when you go on new assignments, you see other freelancers or even freelancers kind of in your network that you know, are you asking them? Yeah. Is it, is it a transparent world between yeah, you all? For, for me, it's a transparent. I don't keep things. Um, it's not a secret for my part. Mm. 
it is, mm. it is, we, we can always discuss, should we discuss prices and so on due to the concurrence clausule uh, we, we have in, in Denmark, in EU and so on. But, but to be fair, I'm working with people and if they ask me, I'm not afraid to say it because it's something we need to talk openly about. And, and, and to be fair, I haven't worked with Chris, so I don't know how he works, but different companies, they have a fixed hourly rate at a client. And let's say you have an hourly rate, they have an hourly rate with, the, with our client, that's 1200 Danish kroners. And they pay, and you only have, you're only getting uh, 600 kroners. They'll give, they'll get half. And that's the fixed. So as long as they can keep you low, they will get more. Mm. Uh, and it's not because I don't want my brokers to make money. As long as I get what I want, I'm satisfied. That's it's that simple. So what even even if the broker is charging double? Yeah, I don't give a shit. Uh, sorry, really? I don't give a shit. As long as I get no, what no, you sw- you sworn already. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, I, I, I have my budget, and it's, as long as I get what I want, I'm, yeah. I don't want to be greedy. Of course, at some point, if I figured out I'm working for eight fifty in this contract, and they'll give seven thousand kroners an hour, maybe. I think yeah. I will comment on it, but well, yeah, I could be more. You are like, you're a good man. <laughs> uh, what, what kind of your thoughts on this, Nikolai? Yeah, I think uh, I. So this is one of the reasons why I prefer, sorry, Chris, not to work with brokers because Don't this one gets very. And I've seen, uh, unfortunately, I've seen so many uh, situations where there's actually no transparency. I even heard people lie about we only add on 20% and then suddenly I see the invoice and there's more. So I have very little trust. But that is also with normal employees. It's not only brokers. It's also no, normal employees. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you you have to, as Jacob said, you have to make it clear about yourself, what your price is. And then you kind of have to make a decision. How important is transparency for you? Because you have to remember that it's not only about how much they're paying, what the expectation is also different. If I'm having like 2,000 kroner an hour, the expectation will be different if I'm having 900 kroner hours. Uh, it just, at least that's my experience. I experienced something, especially when there has been McKinsey people and stuff like that on the projects with very high-end consultants, the experience uh, or the expectation is so different. So for me, transparency is very important. Um, even also if it means that I will not get uh, the highest contract. Transparency is so important. I want to know what I'm delivering. Otherwise, I will never be a success. That's my problem. Sonny, what, what are your thoughts around uh, kind of charge rates, um, transparency with brokers, dealing direct with clients? Um, kind of, what's your opinion on all these? Well, I think I just have a little bit this thing. If my gut feeling is that this, because it's not only a question, it's not only a question about the salary. It's also there's a lot of other things. If I, I mean, if it, if it appealing the team, the, the project, stuff like that, I'm willing to lower my hourly rate uh, because that's equally important for me. But basically, I just go where I feel that this is fine for me, and and that's it. Uh, yeah. And I, but of course, as Nicolas says, uh, if you're working with a broker that charge a lot and you don't know about it that creates expectations at the customer that, mm-hmm. that you're not aware of and this sometimes could create issues but yeah, so basically 
But so, if I feel happy about it, it's fine for me. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's a really interesting point that the, you're charging, what, 800 and the broker's charging you for 1,200. and But you feel like you're delivering on an 800 level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can so I, it's re- can I, really interesting that. Yeah. Can I have a content, uh, comment? Uh, two things. Sometimes, I actually, my, my, this contract I'm working on right now, my broker asked me, how much is your hourly rate? And I'd say, I'll take this, I'll work for this here. Then she said, okay, we can do that. And then I just said as a funny remark, but you can always pay me more. And she said, mm. just to be fair, she just raised my, my hourly rate. It's not by much, but I, it was mm. okay. I actually was pretty surprised about that one because I've never seen that one coming. That's well, a keeper. Yeah, yes, that's a keeper. That's, keeper. <laughs> just, just think about that. You've literally, yeah, exactly. you're happy. And, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, it's fairly simple for her because they yeah. have the markup and as long as they are in the, in the range that they need to make. And then there is a question from an anonymous, anonymous user here. Uh, he says, it's super interesting. Thank you, guys. In your experience, what is a reasonable range for rates for freelancers within 5, 10, or 20 plus years of experience? First of all, as I mentioned, make a budget. Make a budget covering insurance and everything. And just to be fair, it's not about how many years you've worked as a developer or something. It's how much value you can actually add to the given team and the given project. That's what sets your range, your price range. So it's a, for me, it's a combination of those two things. Um, I'm conscious of time, and we've actually not had the opportunity to answer some of the questions. By the way, anyone's asked a question, we'll endeavour to... We've got a LinkedIn group uh, for people in Denmark looking to freelance, and so what we'll uh, end up doing is answering those questions in there. Um, so even if you feel your question hasn't been answered yet, um, we will endeavour to make sure we do answer that at some point. <laughs> Um, okay, and then is I suppose have you got any kind of final tips? Yeah, um, and I go around the table. Uh, so Nikolai, any final tips for people thinking about it? Anything we've not discussed that you feel like we should discuss? I did, I did one thing that kind of saved my life, even though I didn't know it. That is that in my calendar, I have once every quarter. Uh, a very big alarm saying now it's time to do sales Nick or something like that uh, which means that this is the time and when I say sales I don't try cold calling or stuff like that because that never worked what I do is everyone that I work with professionally uh, I try to keep a track on so that I call them once every quarter and say hi how is it going? What are you working on? Blah, blah, blah. And it's the only um, thing I have about this. It has to be people that I enjoyed working with. And that one call once a quarter, I mean, it takes like eight hours or something. It's an exhausting day. But mm. the value that I gotten back because suddenly I'm top of mind and they remember, oh, when I like working with them, they probably also thought that I was nice working with and I had something that they couldn't do especially mm. about databases. But anyway, um, so this way, uh, when they're in the projects, suddenly uh, block, uh, hits a roadblock or something, they will remember me. So every three months, make if you're considering this way, make a call. And it can be a very personal call. It doesn't have to be anything with business. I don't care. I just want to put my name in top of their mind. You have, We had a nice professional relationship. You could get that again. And then I call them again after. No one had ever said, no, I do not want to talk with you. You're an idiot. 
<laughs> not yet, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so so make sure yeah. if you're taking Nikolai's call tomorrow, make sure you start with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what about yourself, Jakob? Any any other tips? Anything uh, that needs mentioning that we've not mentioned? Yeah, I, I don't do it like Nikolai does, but I can support his way of doing. Uh, and selling is a big part of it, to be fair. Um, but overall, I know I can be on complete asshole sometimes. Especially because I'm a developer, so everything is more or less black and white and ones and zeros and so on. But be nice. Mm. You will get really, really far, but be nice and doing you the work. So. Uh, great advice there. Uh, Robert? Um, yeah, I think for me, uh, as a as a someone who moved to Denmark, I think it's difficult to, to know the markets. There's, there's a lot of unknowns for you as a person uh, starting out in a new country. So... I would say talk to, to other freelancers, reach out. You know, if people are curious, they can always connect on LinkedIn with me. I'm not sure about the others, but uh, I think that's a good way to kind of get a feeling about things you don't know or, or join groups like the one you mentioned to come LinkedIn um, and potentially talk uh, talk to a broker as well. So even though you're not a freelancer yet, I think it could help to a broker about, okay, what kind of opportunities do you think there are for my profile? I have five years experience, I have 10 years experience, I do this and this. Is that something that's realistic or not? Um, so just to get some, some, I think, some some uncertainties away when starting. And personally, like as a freelancer, whenever, whenever I'm at a client, I just want to make sure that the team I work with, that they do well and that, that kind of, you know, my boss looks good uh, because then they're happy and then I can keep working there probably. So, you know, be a team player. Don't Don't try to prove yourself too much, but just, you know, do your job, be friendly and open and collaborative. And I think, I believe that from there, things will work out just fine. Perfect. Uh, Sonny, any any final thoughts? Yeah, um, well, it's a little bit in the, you know, the slipstream of what you said there. Um, unless you're asked to, to change things when you start in a, in a new position, don't just take some time to figure out how people are working and adapt to that. And don't try to, you know, just enforce your things. Like we all try to have colleagues like that that just land and change things around. I mean, unless you're asked to do that, uh, don't do it because it's just going to create a bad environment, not only for you, but also for the people out there before you came. Perfect. Any final thoughts from anyone? There we go. Yeah. I muted my mic. There's a question from one of the viewers, and there's actually a good one. Tips on avoiding conflicts where internal employees feel defensive when you bring your experience. Uh, as I said, to other freelancers, and I actually said it to internal people. Also, I'm a guest. When I get to a company, I'm a guest. They pay me to be there and to do my job and to do something. I, they need to pick something they need to help with. I can share my experience. But if they don't want to listen, it's finally, it's in the end, it's their project, product, it's their company. I can only say what I think. And then mm. if they don't buy it, I just have to pull back and say, okay, I said, well, we'll do it your one. Good advice. Um, so hopefully you can see at the bottom there, I put a link to our Copenhagen Tech Freelancer Networking Group on LinkedIn. Uh, we're going to, um, like I said, answer all the questions that we've not managed to get through. Um 
apart from that, put some details. Uh, if you are looking uh, for freelancer and you don't want to con- just connect with one of these guys directly, if you do want to use a Boca, feel free to reach out. I'll put the details below. That's my email. If you want to send me a funny meme instead, feel free to do so. <laughs> um, apart from that, just a massive thanks to everyone on the panel today. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to, the LinkedIn uh, URLs um, will be um below the podcast um and you can actually connect with these guys um when if you look on the event that you've connected to so make sure you connect with them and look out for that quarterly call from nikolai um and yeah big shape thank you robert thank you sonny thank you Jakob. thank you nikolai absolute pleasure and really appreciate your time thanks for having me thank you very much see you later everyone